All great things must come to an end, and so do damn ordinary things as well. Let's get started. Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark leapt into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. But James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion of the world. Hello and welcome to episode 42 of F1 in Review, the episode and the hour where we dish out our awards to drivers, teams, Grand Prix and moments from the season. Hello, I'm Tom Claybon and for a final time this season I'm joined by Tristan Fancourt and Angus Gallagher. A reminder that you can follow myself and Tristan individually on Twitter as well as the F1 in Review account where we post these episodes once they've gone out and you can listen back to the past ones we've uh, recorded and posted in the season gone by. So how does our awards episode work how are we dishing them out well for those who listen to our winners and indeed losers episode in the last two weeks the format is fairly similar but for those who are new don't worry basically we prepare for this episode we devise four questions we then came up with four different answers or indeed contenders for the answers of the said questions i'll keep those to myself for the time being we all know who each other have picked in terms of uh, the question and the answer so to speak and that avoids doubling up in any of these we hope hope that all makes sense without any further ado then the best race of the season angus after you well we had a little discussion in our group chat and i thought that the best race was the british grand prix but i've had my option taken i was beaten to the posts by tom yourself so i have gone for a race which i think was not really a close second but it was a strong contender and one which provided much excitement and much joy uh, that was the us grand prix back in late october so by this stage, the championship had already been wrapped up. Um, Max Verstappen had won it quite considerably, having done it in uh, in Japan a couple of races previously. And it was usually sometimes with that kind of the period of the season, you get less of a less competitiveness. People tend to wind down for the season. There's less to fight for, but you wouldn't know that based on this race. There was a, a fantastic battle across the weekend, which started off with Ferrari getting a front row, which became just a pole for Carlos Sainz when Charles Leclerc took an engine penalty. And on race day, you had a brilliant uh, scrap amongst some of the leading drivers. Some interesting strategy playing out, um, a couple of safety cars into the mix with Valtteri Bottas spinning off, and then the airplane crash, which uh, Fernando Alonso had over the back of Lance Stroll. You also had the drama at the start of Carlos Sainz, the pole man, retiring, having been spun round by George Russell. Um, and then as the race wound on, we saw some, there was some memorable moments such as Sebastian Vettel's late last lap overtake, his last lap battle with Kevin Magnussen, which gave us a throwback of all we love about the man. Um, brilliant performances from Lando Norris and also Fernando Alonso to take a basically broken car, which had been up on two wheels and into a barrier, to take it from last to seventh place. 
And then we had a brilliant battle for the victory, which in the end boiled down to Max Verstappen versus Lewis Hamilton because Red Bull had the chance, they had the lead, and then the pit stop went wrong. It was like a 12-second pit stop. They lost the lead. And he had to hunt down Lewis Hamilton, hunt him down a driver who Hamilton had not been within a shout of a victory really most of the season, only in selected races. And it was a chance for him to finally continue that streak of winning a race in every single season in his career. But alas, Verstappen on the faster tyres left it quite late, not by his own making because the pit stopped, but with four or five laps to go, he did the move on Hamilton and in the end pulled away for a victory. But the race was memorable for many reasons. A couple of incidents, which of course led to everyone being healthy and well at the end. But they spiced up the action, some great on-track battles, some start drama, followed by a battle for the lead between two big rivals at the end. So that gets my vote. Yeah, and an excellent choice there. And I think one of the, the good things about looking back at these these races, and uh, not just the teams and the drivers, is given that we're about to go into the off-season and, dear listener, you'll be without F1 in review as well to uh, perpetuate your necessary need, really, for F1 content, you'll have three races to go off and uh, budget for the off-season alongside mm-hmm. the staples such as Drive to Survive and looking back through the archives at, at previous years, um, maybe you'll go back and watch the entirety of last year's season as well. I don't know, it's quite a long way till uh, February, March when we get back into it. So at least we're, we're giving you a head start, really. Um, and I, I agree, Angus, I think it was a, a, it was, it was a pretty good race. And I um, agree with everything you said there. I also wanted to go for the British Grand Prix. And I could not <laughs> because Tom decided to get there literally before anyone. I think it's I think it was weighted against us because Tom suggested this one and then immediately put in his his thoughts on the matter. So um, I'm sure Oops. Tom will be able to justify. <laughs> yes, uh, be able to justify it um, relatively quickly. But I, I went for the Hungarian Grand Prix, made famous in 2021 by Bottas deciding to uh, go bowling and taking out half the pack. This time um, it was slightly damp as well. And again, it had just a little bit of everything. Whereas the US Grand Prix that Angus just mentioned had a race um, between... Hamilton and Verstappen. This time it was it was Russell um on the on the front row with with the Mercedes against the Ferrari of Leclerc. Verstappen joined in, had a bit of a spin and then had to fight his way back up to the to the front again. I don't want to say who won just in case you missed it, so um maybe you can think of this as just a little bit of a teaser. But I will say just like the US Grand Prix, it had kind of everything. We had wet moments and spinning, we had crashes, we had a little bit of uh, lots and lots of on-track fighting and a surprise winner at the end of it. And and once you've gone back and listened to the Hungarian Grand Prix um, or watched the Hungarian Grand Prix, you can then go back and listen to our podcast discussing it as well. There you go. That's two whole hours of content there. Um, maybe <laughs> more of you actually watch the full um, version of the Grand Prix rather than just the hour highlight. But it really is a, a, a very, very good race. And I put it sort of alongside the US Grand Prix. I thought the US Grand Prix was incredibly good. Very, very nail-biting. And as you say, Angus, you wouldn't have thought it was right at the end of the season. And yet, there it was. But the Hungarian Grand Prix was up there as well. Tom, do you want to tell us um, which pick, which race you decided to pick? 
<laughs> well, absolute pleasure. Well, it'll come as no surprise to our listeners who have been quite attentive to this episode. The British Grand Prix is my choice, and I think it's your choices as well for many people out there, and indeed you two who are on this very episode. First of all, you had that very dramatic crash between Guan Yu Zhou and Russell. Importantly, nobody got hurt. And to me, looking aside from the racing action that was to come, it very much showed how safety had improved in the sport and how resilient the measures were in place after quite a yeah, visually spectacular but dangerous incident at the very start which resulted in so many other DNFs to come from that small uh, start shall we say to lap one and then from that moment on you had the restart you had Carlos Sainz having perhaps his best drive to date in my view really battling hard with Verstappen the Red Bulls and Ferraris going hammer and tong something we didn't really see too much this season but for the first quartile if you will of this race we got that in spade loads we then had something also which we hardly saw throughout the entirety of this season part of last season as well actually Max Verstappen having a mechanical issue one that was out of his control and meant that he was really out of the fight for first because there was a concern that once he overtakes signs I remember looking back at this in terms of the highlights and indeed watching it live it was a real concern this is going to turn into a classic Verstappen procession if you will of him just sauntering off into the distance and it being a battle between the two Ferraris and Perez for P2 and 3 and 4 which has been the case in so many races but no that wasn't to be it was in a safety car as well just to make sure the spice was alive and well in this race triggered by my dear friend Esteban Ocon after he was uh, had to go and park his car very much in the, uh, the pit straight the start finish line if you will that re- night of the race once again and then in the last sort of 10 or so laps you had a battle between Sainz, Leclerc, Perez, Hamilton you thought oh surely we can't get any more people joining the party in this one well but you know doubt then came Lando Norris then came Alonso as well and we were seeing there really a three-way team fight plus two others as well making it a five-team fight where you thought to yourself well anyone could win this race anyone could be on the podium Anyone could take the spoils and ultimately take the, the race win with this, but it was Carlos Sainz who deserved it very much in this race, his first ever F1 win. And then you had Leclerc fighting with Lewis Hamilton, a very resurgent Hamilton as well, after a poor start to the season, indeed, middle to that as well. Um, Hamilton very much in the ascendancy there, and Leclerc trying to fend him off with what looked like sort of stone square tyres, really. They were that slow and that degraded and that awful that he had no chance, really. But such a good race there was so many interesting things about it on and off the track so much action pure entertainment and yeah really enjoyed that hopefully we'll see something similar from the British Grand Prix next year and some of the other races as well because it's been a good season but not as exciting as it could have been or has been in seasons gone by as well well I mean to be fair yeah I mean I said it from the start Silverstone I mean, to be fair, there's, there is a, there is possibly an argument for us being biased as it is our home race, but at the same time, we are clearly accepting of the fact that it was an absolute banger this year. It was an absolute banger of a race. Um, so I don't think there's much argument for it. It's the one that, I, I, in a year where I've probably been busier than ever in my life, and I've actually probably tuned into marginally fewer F1 races than I usually do, Silverstone being the one that sticks out like a sore thumb is is really the one that wins it for me. And yeah, can't really argue with it. Excellent stuff. 
a sore thumb for all the right reasons, I'm sure. But obviously, I'm voting for Silverstone as well. So I think that's a clean sweep, and I can take absolutely no credit for what was a very good race. Congratulations to Silverstone 2022. Okay, so moving on now to our second award surprises. Who surprised us for all the good reasons to start with? This could be a driver, this could be a team, this could be a circuit, a thing. It's very much up to us. Tristan, who surprised you or what surprised you for the right reasons? So this one was sort of difficult to, to weigh up because it was it was hard to know what really surprised me because lots of things in the season sort of surprised me, but we've covered them all and we don't want to cover the same things over and over and over again. Like the you know, best of the worst team. Oh, I was surprised that such and such didn't quite work out the way I wanted a team wasn't quite as fast or something like that. Um, so we've sort of split this into the good surprise and the bad surprises. So I think we should start with the good ones. Uh, to me, the thing that surprised me was the Brazilian sprint race. Hmm. Because it was the first sprint race this year that I thought was actually kind of exciting. And we have been, or well, and I think rightly so, a lot of us have been quite critical of the sprint race um, because it never really delivered us anything new and arguably that means it's a bit redundant but this time it was a very very exciting weekend and each asset of the weekend provided us something quite exciting with qualifying being very exciting then the sprint race allowing George Russell to to get into pole position and win with Carlos Sainz just behind him, Lewis Hamilton in third place, and then Max and, and Sergio Perez back in, in fourth and fifth. It, it was a sprint race where the Red Bulls were fighting through, Russell was trying to hang on to the lead from Ferrari, Ferrari's trying desperately to scrabble to the front, and we all sat there thinking, blimey, Mercedes could win a race here. And so it added to the weekend. Yes, I know some people will be disappointed that Kevin Magnussen didn't win it, but but even then he managed to finish in 8th place getting a getting a point. And to me it was it was a real asset to the weekend, which was a bit unusual for the sprint race. And because it was a wet qualifying, a damp qualifying, the sprint race was very very different. And actually, I'd argue the race going into the the next day was slightly different again. So Overall, I was very pleasantly surprised by the Brazilian sprint race. I don't know whether or not it stands as being an argument in favour of keeping sprint races for longer. But it definitely highlights that Brazil is a good place to perhaps have a sprint race. And because we pushed qualifying back to the Friday when it was wet... That allowed all the excitement on the Friday to happen. We did say when the sprint races were announced... And there are six, by the way, next year. That it means that we're going to have an important event. Um, and before you start saying, wow, free practice is important. You know what I mean. We're going to have one of the most important events over three days rather than just two. So, for example, at Brazil, we got that wet qualifying. And that in that changeable um, environment then. And then we had an excitement on Saturday. And then another exciting moment on Sunday as well so pleasantly surprised overall by the Brazilian sprint race 
as I say, not necessarily an argument in favour of the sprint races, but it was very good. And I think even Angus, you said that you were quite excited by it too. So I know how much of a sceptic you are, so it must be good. Oi, oi. Yeah, I can't lie. It actually it actually got me excited, the Brazil sprint race, and I never thought I'd say that about a sprint race. Um, I still don't want six of them next year. But I guess if there were six of them and they were all like Brazil, then we could maybe allow it. Um, but anyway, I'm going to move on to my surprise, my positive surprise, which is the performances of George Russell. And I don't mean that in a way about, oh, I thought he'd be rubbish or I thought he would be a let down the team. I did not think he would be on the level of Lewis Hamilton so quickly. Now, I'd say even though at the end of the year, the statistics read that Hamilton got marginally more podiums. And despite them also reading that Hamilton outdid him in qualifying, outdid Russell in qualifying, at the end of the day, we all thought that it would be a situation maybe like Ferrari, where Leclerc is very quick, science is very quick, but Leclerc has that edge, and he, he's kind of, at the end of the year, ends not comfortably clear, but clear enough to show who's really, even though it's not said in name, who's really number one and number two. And I thought it would be similar at Mercedes, but George Russell came in, he stamped his authority. It has turned out later in the year that Hamilton was, as he's revealed deliberately, when the car was basically so bad it was scraping into the top 10 at the start of the season. He was basically just completely sabotaging weekends, trying setup, trying wild and wacky setup changes to see if he could hit the sweet spot, basically sacrificing parts of his weekend to try and get the team back to the top spot. So that arguably definitely might have had an impact on the his performance throughout parts of the season. But at the same time, you have to give Russell credit for settling into the team quickly, for settling in and making an impact, for getting that podium. There was a thing of like, oh, how quickly will he get a podium or a win? The car wasn't in a position to win, but he got that podium duck out of the way in Australia, race three. Missed. He has an argument to be missed a consistency for this season based on his, well, his consistency, his results across the year. Um, finishing in the top five in every race but three. But I think in terms of his his surprise is still. I thought he. I thought to myself he will come good eventually in the Mercedes team because he's he's almost he can't be destined not to, because of the way it's been set up for him and his the way he's been nurtured into that team, and the support he gets. But I didn't think it'd be an impact this quickly, and I'm fascinated and delighted to see, or would be delighted to see what he could do in an absolute championship race winning regular race race winning car. Um, now that especially he's broken that race-winning duck in Sao Paulo at the end of the year. So for me, the positive surprise was his performances, not because I didn't expect much, but because I didn't expect what he provided as soon as he did. That's a very fair shout. I think when we look back at someone like Bottas who came into the Mercedes team constructor car and he didn't struggle to start with but he did find it difficult to find his feet next to Hamilton and next to the Ferraris and Red Bulls and I think that the fact that George Russell has done that quicker granted he's had that experience at the Sakir Grand Prix back in 2020 is a testament to him and I've got him for another award later spoiler alert but for my positive surprise it would be Mr Lando Norris because he's finished We've first of all got the fifth best car on the grid just. It was a very packed midfield at the start of the season, as we've talked about so many times. Got P7 in the in the Drivers' Championship. He got a P3 finish as well on the podium, which I think is 
very capable of him doing last season a very good car but when we consider how woeful McLaren was at the start of the season compared to the car that he had previously you'd be forgiven for thinking well he's allowed a season off he can do it in a very good car but when things are up against him and when perhaps McLaren haven't nailed the regulations he's allowed an off season it's fine you know People don't necessarily see him, in my view, as being up there with someone like Leclerc or indeed perhaps Sainz and uh, Verstappen and George Russell. He's perhaps in a lower quartile than that sort of top bracket there in the top teams and he's not for a reason, etc, etc. But I think he's really surprised me and everybody else in the fact that he is part of that top quartile of drivers. When you consider how far away he was in relative terms from the rest of the midfield, the two Alpines, who no doubt in my mind had the quicker car when it comes to raw pace and performance alone granted they were hampered by reliability versus this McLaren car but McLaren were definitely a slower car we saw how much they struggled not only at the start but how much that uh, Ricardo had struggled as well this was not a car that was easy to drive by any stretch of the imagination and to get points 17 times out of 22 races in a car like that keeping out of trouble and getting the car up to podium positions where possible is really a testament to to Norris and the fact that McLaren were able, even able to get P5 I think is a testimony to him and the fact they were knocking on the door for P4 is, t- is a testimony more to him than he is uh, than it is to Ricardo, should I say owing to where he is versus his now uh, former teammate the Australian there so I think that it's easy to go and look at the table now and go well it's quite clear there was a huge gap between McLaren and Alfa Romeo for example all along but that wasn't the case in the the thick of battle and war he was very much a packed midfield where it could have gone either way McLaren could have fallen all the way down to P7 in my view or could have on a good day risen up to P4 and the reason they've nearly got up to P4 and only fallen slightly below their excellent performance last season is owing to Lando Norris who I think is far better than just a young plucky driver and in my view deserves a seat at the top table at some point but where that's going to um, I just don't know. Yeah, there's no no doubt that I don't think um, McLaren would have done nearly as well as they they have ended up doing, uh, even even if they did end up coming behind Alpine without Lando Norris and his ability to to grab points, especially when his teammates been uh, letting both himself down and I, I guess the team and with his inconsistent inconsistency. So. Yeah, I'd say that was a as a pretty good surprise. So, what are we saying as the best surprise out of all of them? Hmm. I've I think that I think we have to take Norris's one out of the equation because for me, you may disagree, but I'm not surprised by how well Norris has been doing. I'm convinced, and this may seem like a big statement, but I think he is better than Charles Leclerc. I think in terms of caliber of driver based on the performances he brings in week in, week out, in what is a average car, and the fact that he's utterly destroyed a multiple race winner over the last two years, and also getting the only non-Red Bull Mercedes Ferrari podium so far this year. I think, for me, Norris's performances are not a surprise, arguably. See, I am inclined to agree with Angus there. I think I'm not surprised that Lando Norris um, ended up doing quite well, especially when you look at his historic performances as well they are pretty good um so i would say that i still stand by my own original thought that the biggest surprise was the fact that brazilian sprint race was pretty good and as much Mm. as i appreciate um 
the other surprises, I I think that one for me was just the biggest surprise that whole weekend. I'm guessing it falls to me then to be the casting vote, if you will. Such power. I think I'm going to go for George Russell. Mm. I think he has surprised me. He's beaten Lewis Hamilton P4 in his first season with a very average Mercedes car. I'll give it to him. Now, flipping the coin onto the negative surprises. He's surprised for all the wrong reasons. Tristan. Well, so this, again, this one was was more, more tricky to, to determine because I didn't want to just go through and, and reiterate our, our previous podcasts. But for me, the the, the bad surprise was Alpha Tauri because mm. it was such... It was just such a change from what we saw last year. And also, the fact that Red Bull was doing so well this year and they just, they just weren't. And there's no necessarily excusing it, really. I mean, Alpha Tauri came in ninth this year, which... If you said to me, the team that came in sixth last year with 142 points with the same drivers was going to come in ninth with just 35 points and be beaten by Haas, I'd have said, you're absolutely joking. That's never going to happen. But it did. And it's just been a pretty disastrous year. They're going to be... Well, at least they're going to get some more wind tunnel time out of it. But they're going to be right at the back of the, the paddock with people like Haas in front of them, which, again, bizarre. Only Williams are, are, are behind them. And throughout the season, they just they just failed to really get anywhere. Um, they're, they're, there wasn't a single race, I don't think, where you could say, yep, they totally own that. Both cars totally own that. And when you look at the, the driver standings as well, you see kind of exactly the same thing with Pierre Gasly down in 14th place and Yuki Sonodia in, 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 in 17th place. They just, I guess Pierre was holding them up a little bit, but there's only so much you could hold up with that with that team, especially when their parent team, Red Bull, went on to win the, the Drivers' Championship and the Constructors' Championship. What a dichotomy, especially mm. as we, in previous years, we expected both, teams to do relatively well because Red Bull pulled them up but I guess the the, the new regulations the lack of um, parts and knowledge from previous years meant that they were all on their own this time and it really showed and they got fundamentally their package wrong with as I say only Williams getting it even more wrong but you might argue that with another decent driver um, in the second Williams seat they could have been under pressure from Williams just a little bit. I mean, let's face it, Latifi was never going to put really anyone under pressure. So for me, that was such, such a surprise. I had to quickly pull the, the Alpha Tauri drivers out of my F1 fantasy team. Not that it did me much luck. Um, <laughs> because it was just absolutely disastrous. And I don't think really anyone can get out of this season from Alpha Tauri thinking, cool. We, you know that that went well. They even lost Pierre Gasly at the end of it, who's off to Alpine. So clearly, you know, it's been a pretty disastrous year, and I've just been surprised in a really bad way by by how they they've done. I didn't think anyone expected such a fall. 
Not at all. It's been an awful season, and listeners from last episodes will know my thoughts on AlphaTauri and their future, not only their past record in this season. So a very strong choice there. I've gone for Lewis Hamilton, and this is all relative, because we're talking about somebody who's got as many driver championship victories as Michael Schumacher, but this year won no race, while his teammate did. Nine podiums, a huge fall off from before, 35 points behind his debutant teammate. He's only ever raced a Williams before, P6 in the Drivers' Championship. I mean, all in all, it's not a disaster for any driver to be P6 and to be on the podium as many times as that. But if we're talking about someone like Lewis Hamilton who was in a, a decent car coming into the season versus a very dysfunctional team in Ferrari who had opportunities there to win races when we consider the colour of I think this is a bad surprise as well. I go back to Saudi Arabia, I believe. He didn't even get out the first round of qualifying, was starting at the back. And of course, you'll have Mercedes and co saying, oh, there was issues with porpoising, oh, he's trying different setups, this, that and the other. But for somebody who's heralded as, rightly so as well, the greatest of all time, royalty of F1, a king of Formula 1, a god of Formula 1, etc, etc. These excuses don't really cut it for me, really. It's been a bad season, granted a very high bar set, but a bad season nonetheless. And if we're going to be putting people into that sort of category of Formula 1 driver, as I say, rightly so on this occasion, you expect them to pull a rabbit out of the hat occasionally to drag a very poor car as was at the start of the season and to get it into the podium positions and to get it competing at the very least for some serious points. George Russell did that, but Lewis Hamilton didn't. So for that reason, I've been disappointed compared to his very, very high standards of past. Even when it wasn't going well at McLaren, for example, he's able to pull out one or two decent uh, performances, victories, I believe, as well. So yeah, been a very, very disappointing season off the back of what was one of his best, I feel, versus Verstappen in that thrilling season of 2021. If I was to go for my bad surprise of the season, I think this bloke could win the flop of the season. I don't particularly like that title, but he would win it anyhow. But I still think he'd he'd come under the category of this one as well, and that's Daniel Ricciardo. And simply because I didn't expect Ricciardo to be this bad again. Like, all jokes aside, I thought, like, he'd be... I thought he'd be a lot more on par with Landon Norris. He thought, right, second year, he's he's used to the team, he's used to routines, he's repeated a few things. He looked like, at the end of last year, he was getting on top of things a bit more with that McLaren car. And you thought, in a similar way to how Sergio Perez has looked more acclimatised to the Red Bull environment this year in his, in his second year, you thought that Daniel Ricciardo would also have a similar upswing in his results. He hasn't. Simple as, he hasn't. Mick Schumacher as well, you were like, you, you thought he'd have a, a similar upswing, he hasn't. But I think Ricardo is more of a shock, simply because this man used to be a beast. He used to be, arguably, one of the top three drivers on the grid, arguably the best overtaker on the grid. The man who was carrying the baton for the upper top end, below the Mercedes cars. He would often be the man to challenge Mercedes in their most dominant times. So to see him fall by the wayside so dramatically was quite a surprise really um to see him just be nowhere was like something that we didn't expect at all and yeah I, I can't really add much more to it i think that there's there's a massive argument for him being the the biggest flop of the season um especially when if you look at the overall percentages in terms of the points that he scored compared to Lando Norris he only scored 
23% of McLaren's points this season, which is crazy in my opinion. Um, and I think that is a genuine, whilst he's obviously out of Formula 1 now and we can say how poor his performance was, I genuinely think it was a surprise how bad he was. I thought he'd recover from the previous season, but he he just didn't. He scored points in seven races all year. He scored points in a third of the races all year, whilst Lando Norris scored points in 17 races out of 22. He scored points in 10 more races than Ricardo did. So I think for the fact that it's probably it was worse than the first season because no victory, no podium, no standout result really. So yeah, I, I think that's that was a big surprise for me. Yeah, I think he definitely was the biggest flop of this season when we consider how good the car was in some aspects or could be as Lando Norris showed the caliber of driver as well someone he was competing for driver championships and was right up there at the top It'd be that with Renault and also Red Bull as well but I wasn't too surprised by Ricardo's performance this season I think the writing was somewhat on the wall the trend was already there from the last season we just saw of him in 2021 that is and I think the victory at Monza the 1-2 there everyone was so happy but that just papered over the serious cracks there that it wasn't really working out, but that was his sink or swim, sink for your supper time. So he, he failed in that regard, but I can't say it surprised me too much. So I'm sticking with my with my choice, I'm afraid. So I'm sorry, sorry, that's the point. Ooh. We had some very, very good choices. But to, to, to be clear, from the AlphaTauri perspective, they failed to score points in 12 of this year's races, which means that's more than half. So that's 12 out of 22 races this year. AlphaTauri got zero points. In three races, in, in, they only got in fifteen. In fifteen out of twenty-two races, Daniel Ricciardo got zero points. So yeah, but are you surprised because you were you were telling no. us about how terrible Ricciardo was last year? Yeah, but I thought at least he would be improved based on the previous year. I've 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 said that I sort of I said that he was terrible last year, and then halfway through this year, I started saying he was terrible again because I thought by that stage he would have shown green shoots but those shoots were definitely not green I, this is the thing these are all very surprising <laughs> things apart from ricardo i think i think angus is gonna have to tie break this one i think tom mm, and i okay. are in agreement that the least surprising thing is ricardo's fall from grace is that fine i'll accept i'll, I'll accept this one so you've I, got... I got the last i got i got the last one so i'll accept this one so two two very um... surprising things on one hand you've got lewis hamilton one of the greatest drivers, if not the greatest driver of all time, failing to win a single race with Mercedes in mm. 2022 versus the almighty fall from Alva Tauri, the sister team to Red Bull, which is now basically the junior team, going from hero to zero overnight and beaten by Haas. Oh, to be fair, Alpha Tauri have had a mighty fall. They've gone from 142 points last year to 35 this year. So, and down four places in the constructors. Um, and I do think that Hamilton did perform pretty well this season, even though he didn't win a race, um, which of course is a high benchmark that he set himself, having won 103 of those things. So I will go with Alpha Tauri, I think, just simply because they're full from. Fall from grace, they're fall from sixth, realistically. But fall they've had, grace. in terms of the, their percentage, <laughs> the percentage they've had, has been rather abrupt in terms of the percentage drops. I will go with Alpha Tauri's 
fall from grace, as we call it. Yeah, the most surprising mm. thing, 2022, was the total implosion of Alpha Tauri. Followed closely behind, my we add, that um, Lewis Hamilton failed to to win a race. It'd be very interesting to hear what you, you you think at home as well about about these. What was your most surprising moment of the year? Um, because I'm sure there are um, other ones that perhaps we will talk about later on um, that are mm. up there equally. Absolutely. So from surprises to consistency, who's been our most consistent driver, do we feel, from this season? I'll start off with this one, actually. Mr. Alonso, I think he's uh, performed incredibly well this season, consistently, if you will, in a car that's been incredibly unreliable. He scored points in 14 races out of 22, less than Norris granted, but I find the consistency of someone like Alonso in a more unreliable car, but also an older driver as well, more impressive than someone who is of his younger years, growing into his prime, and very much has his best days ahead of him versus best days behind him. Now, if you're looking at this and you're someone like Mr. Stroll, be that Lawrence or Stroll's junior, you're sort of rubbing your hands together thinking, marvellous, we can have that sort of consistency in Aston Martin, a bit better than Vettel, hopefully, and that could really get us up the table in terms of uh, the constructors. But I'm not too sure if he can continue this consistency moving forwards. I think the 2023 season, with him probably being in a slower car than last season versus the high-performance Alpine car, he's Perhaps unlikely to repeat this again, but I think it's a rather remarkable feat how well he's done, not only in his age as well, but also when we know how unreliable that Alpine car can be. And I think if it wasn't for him getting the lack of the rub of the green, if you will, in terms of the unreliability issues regarding his um, his car versus teammates' car, he could have perhaps even challenged Mr. Norris there for for P7, as is the quality of his consistency there. Many a P5s scored a couple of P6s as well, and. And um, I think he's had a very good season, especially for someone who is very much at the end of his career and um, 41 years old. So that's my my spiel, if you will. Mr. Consistent, there has to be just the one for me. Has to be, surely, the world champion, the two-time world champion, Max Verstappen himself. I think, in terms of his consistency, I think it's just a case of how he's been consistently good, consistently excellent, 15 race wins out of 22 and I think the main thing for me for his consistency is that the main uh, the main barometer of consistency in Formula 1 is race pace because you have to have races where you have consecutive laps one after the other one after the other doing that similar pace doing that those similar times to get you in good positions and there's no greater test than that than in a race and Verstappen got those 15 wins as we mentioned he got two podiums on top of that. He has shown on his list just two retirements and only three other races where he could arguably have had a poor race. And one of those was Silverstone where his car failed him and he could have won that race. There's only really Singapore and Sao Paulo where he you could judge him to have had a, a, um, a less than ideal outing that day. Um, it's just consistent with his consistent with his brilliance, I think, this season. I think also he's become more consistent because last year he in his first championship he still had the shades of the young Verstappen who was had an insane will to win but did not utilise that the best all the time, leading to such incidents, which of course were props perhaps um added to by the intense rivalry with Hamilton in that championship. And he probably had more room to um 
develop that maturity this year because his lead was quite substantial from pretty much race seven or eight onwards and then it grew to unsurmountable insurmountable in fact um but i just think yeah his consistent brilliance for just backing up a really strong year last year clearly really strong he won the championship goodness sake um but backing that up this year with a dominant year where he was amazingly consistent one thing sticks out for me i think it was mexico where he had that 45 lap stint on the hards or the mediums and he produced 45 consecutive laps all within a second of each other other than other than the caveat being a couple of laps under the virtual safety car mm. and that for me shows just yeah his incredible because that is consistency i think this award could arguably have been interpreted as consistently good or consistently bad um, but I think the latter mm. would have been a bit harsh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I've gone, so I've gone for consistently good on this one, and he was consistently excellent. Let's be honest. I feel like I've lost count the number of times I said consistently as well. But um, but yeah, Verstappen for me, like he was brilliant and ruthless and well consistent all year long. Yeah, that's a excellent shout, Max Verstappen, and arguably the most consistent driver on the grid this year um with by simple metrics such as points and just number of first places i mean his that lap time statistic during the grand prix as you mentioned was magic it was michael schumacher-esque when he was putting in incredible laps over and over and over and over again and definitely demonstrated why max verstappen is so good and I, I came late to the party with selecting my particular individual individual from, from Mr. Consistent, so I had to think slightly outside the box. Now, when I pitched this one to my partner, she said, oh, that's obvious, everyone's going to go for George Russell because he's Mr. Consistent, but it's very interesting that none of us actually have fallen mm. down that track, so perhaps this is actually less obvious than um, I first thought because I've gone for a certain Alex Albon, and it took me a while to select Alex Albon, but eventually I did because we have to look at Alex Albon through the lens of a driver that's come back into Formula One after a stint away, new regulations plus Williams. So there are three factors there determining his performance. And he will not shine if you just look at the points because in f1 you only get points down to 10th place some argue you should have 10 points down to 15th or perhaps the full grid but that's not the system we have so if you look at points alone someone like max verstappen or you know tom your suggestion as well like they 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 are going to beat alex albon but if you actually look at his race positions and how consistent he has been throughout the year then it actually paints a slightly different picture. Now, I've been relatively equal with my assessment of Alex Albon against other drivers. What I've basically done is I've looked at their average race position, discounting their DNFs. So, for example, Alex Albon um, had four DNFs throughout the season. But if you add up all of his positions and find out his, his, his medium place, he comes in 12th point sixth place. That's where Alex Albon comes. 12.6. Which paints a slightly different picture to if you just looked at it from the driver's standings. Because if you you look at Alex Albon in 19th place, well actually, if you look at him 
averaging 12.6th place throughout the season. That average place finish beats Zhou Guan Yu. It beats Yuki Tsunoda. It beats Mick Schumacher. It even beats Pierre Gasly and Kevin Magnussen. In fact, the only I had to go all the way up to, to Sebastian Vettel before I found someone who had a worse average position than poor Alex Albon. And Alex Albon got four points in total, where Kevin Magnussen got 25 points, which shows you the imbalance, I think, of, of the point system if you use them on their own. And Alex Albon has been consistently very good, consistently beat his teammate, got into Q3, he's, he's had some fantastic races. Yes, he's only picked up a handful of points, but he's in a Williams. Think about Australia when he had to put in consistent lap times to get that magic pit stop on the final lap to get one point. Without the excellent drive from him, that tyre whispering magic, he wouldn't have got there. So yes... I know you're going to say, well, that's, you know, he's not nearly as consistent as, as Verstappen because Verstappen just stole the wins. That might be true, but Verstappen was able to sail off into the lead and cruise to the end of, of many races. Alex Albon had to fight for them, which means he was under pressure from drivers in front of him and behind. It was quite a, a good season for Alex, and I don't think people are going to necessarily give him the recognition he deserves. So for me... I think he really shone as a, as a consistent driver. And may I point out that if you average Max Verstappen's position, he comes, he gets an average position of second, which is twice the uh, his actual finish um, of first. So if we're doing that for Alex Albon, he should come in 38th place and instead comes in 12.6. So Alex's position um, on average takes a third off of his um, driver's standings at the end, which I think is actually a very impressive metric. It shows you that points aren't necessarily everything. I think it's a, a little bit harsh to say that the world champion is not doing it doing it too well for finishing second on an average position. <laughs> I'd say that's, that's a little bit harsh uh, on yeah. the guy who's won the championship by 146 points. Also suggesting that... Alex Albon should be aiming to come 38th in a world championship of 20 drivers. It's a little bit, um, <laughs> a little bit fatalistic, a little bit um, downcast. Um, no, I, th I think, to be honest, Albon's had a brilliant season, to be fair to him. I can't lie. Like, c can't yeah. argue with it. Um, but I think Verstappen, there's no looking past him, really. I'm obviously going to root for my own. I can't see anything past it, realistically. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Max Verstappen was the most consistent throughout the season. He absolutely blitzed it. Oh, no thank right. you. Okay, then. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm sorry. Appreciate that. Sorry, thank Tom. You. Um, yeah. But I, I, yeah. I, I don't think... Short on time, are we? I don't think we can really <laughs> argue, really. Um, I mean, I know I know you think Alonso... I mean, Alonso, I, he has, he's been consistently good. And yeah, when oh, yeah. you scan Alonso's <laughs> position, it's like wow, seven, seven, six. You know, God, those positions are, are are very consistent. But also, in my mind, I feel like I and this is feelings, not facts. I guess I feel like he hasn't mm. had a consistent season. He's been breaking down all the time. He's been he's leaving the team literally because of the inconsistencies. So I'm not of sure we can add him as that's the car though. Well, I know, but I, I, to me, that doesn't. I, I I can it can that beat Verstappen? 
Okay, I just if we sort of judging apples and apples here, when we compare someone like the consistency that Alonso's shown versus the lack of consistency that a 41-year-old Kimi Raikkonen showed in his last season of Formula 1, I think really you're seeing why Alonso is heralded as one of the greats of Formula 1 because of the consistency he's now showing and the driving ability that he had previously. He's not lost his quality. I mean, it's fair to say that that may go in the next season and seasons to come, but for a driver... Of that unreliable car and of that age to do as well as he's done is, well, hats off to him, really. I don't think there's many other drivers on this grid and drivers to come who will replicate what we're seeing or have seen in the season gone by from him. Yeah, but in nine races in a, in a, in a row, starting from France and ending in Mexico, there was only one race where Max didn't win. That's... It, yeah. I mean, that's insane. I mean... It, I mean, go. If you, it's just nuts. It's just a nuts season. Can we deny Max Verstappen the most consistent award on a season where he beat the record for the number of race wins in a season? I mean, granted, he's obviously won the award in this episode, but when you consider that he faced next to no competition after Spain, True. aside from his teammate who had his hands tied behind his back, I think you'd be pretty unlucky not to go and win the amount of races that Verstappen did. Granted, a very good season, but when you consider the competition that former yeah. uh, champions of uh, the world have had versus this one, I mean, it's incomparable, isn't it? He's pretty much been racing by himself for part of the season, and that's not, I don't think, only down to his quality in terms of the drivers produced, but there we go. Well done to him. Congratulations. Congratulations. Absolutely. But I, I, I don't think we can bypass the fact that, as you say, someone like you know, Fernando Alonso has had an incredible season and has been consistently good. Hence all the memes about him holding up the uh, the the pack because he was consistently able to, to defend it. So it's a very close second. It's a very, very close second. And who knows? Alonso may be on hand for another award later. Who knows? Who, <laughs> who knows? knows? Who knows? He won't who be, knows? but who knows? Um... <laughs> 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 Okay, we now get on to our final award of this episode of F1 in Review, then the feel-good moment of the year. Shall we go for, well, you've queued it so nicely. Angus, your feel-good moment of the year. My feel-good moment of the year, I had, there was two contenders in my mind, I think, and I think there's one which realistically will win, and it's not mine, but I'll give mine a shot anyway. Um, for me, it was Fernando Alonso, in qualifying in Canada, finishing second. So it was a wet qualifying, absolute chaos. You had shock results such as the Haas cars finishing in fifth and sixth. You had a Red Bull in, and a Ferrari in Perez and Leclerc out in Q2. You had George Russell being lower down the grid in eighth place. And then up at the sharp end, you had Max Verstappen, of course, being absolutely miles ahead. Nobody could touch him, being Mr. Consistent, some might say. Um, and then, sneaking into second place in that Alpine, Fernando Alonso, throwing back the years. I think that was the main thing for me with that performance, was that it it threw back the years to a time when... I mean, he still is very, very good, but he was threw back to a time when he was exceptional. It's the cl classic Alonso drive of him dragging his car with every ounce of what he's got to a position where it shouldn't be, really. Even in a wet qualifying, an Alpine shouldn't be in second place realistically 
His teammate Esteban Ocon finished in 7th, very respectable, but Alonso was a full 1.5 seconds quicker in the wet that day than his teammate in Q3. A fantastic, phenomenal achievement. And it was one of those... I, without, without sounding patronising, it was like the old man of the grid had sort of been away for a bit and he, he had his moment again. He was like, oh, well done, Grandad. You're back on the front row. Fantastic stuff. That's what made it feel good as well. It was a, a lovely, wholesome moment, which is something which we can't say too much about Alonso in his career, considering he's such a ruthless, um, some might say argumentative, self-destructive um, F1 driver. So for him to be smiling so much, a 40-year-old man on the front row, Producing as well a performance of absolute brilliance, an absolute, like an absolute masterclass in the wet. To be honest, um, and it briefly gave us dreams of him possibly overtaking Verstappen into the first corner at the start, and then holding up the whole field for seventy laps, um, which alas did not happen as he finished in ninth the next day. But overall, <laughs> it was a brilliant qualifying performance, which really made I think the F1 community feel good about. F1 really it was amazing to see and then and then we all felt very good and then we all forgot about it um, yep. <laughs> which is uh, you, you know he's put uh. it in the chat I was like oh yeah forgot he got P2 <laughs> so I'm sorry Angus um, uh, yeah it was a great moment and actually some might say that you know it was just part of Alonso's overall consistency some people would say that Alonso was the most some consistent some <laughs> um, <laughs> um, if I may an- announce my feel good moment for the year um, it may come to no surprise to many that my I'm putting forward I think the most feel good moment of the year best feel good moment since likes of Ocon and Pierre Gasly taking their first wins in year own a couple of years ago now um, and that was Kevin Magnussen getting pole position the Brazilian Grand Prix in qualifying and leading a lap for Haas. Haas's first and Kevin Magnussen's first ever pole position. It was a bit damp, but they timed it brilliantly. The app, the community just went nuts. Many Haas fans were formed that night. Uh, many Haas fans returned back to Haas because they, they felt like the team had gone in the right direction for once. And they also got some excellent sponsorships out of it as well now they've got more sponsorships overall just absolutely incredible moment even if Haas didn't go on to win the sprint race because George Russell ended up winning that um they they did end up capitalizing to get eighth place it was just absolutely nuts to see a Haas on the front row of the grid and looking at the the starting grid before the qualifying um before the sprint race it was so bizarre that we were just waiting waiting for Haas and then you know Front row, P1, Kevin Magnussen. Just, oh, absolutely magic. Absolutely fantastic. And I guess also ties in very nicely to why I thought the Brazilian weekend and the sprint race was so exciting and and such a surprise as well. Yeah, we've got a very Brazilian Grand Prix-themed uh, award ceremony here when you realise my one as well. Mine is George Russell winning that very Grand Prix in Brazil. I think he really deserved this one. He'd been leading the fight for the team. Hamilton had been underfiring as a hinted earlier there and he'd really been pulling that constructor away from what was a very packed midfield at the very start of the season and what continued to be so for the large sort of races and sways of that as well. Pull back towards Ferrari 
And it got them into a position where realistically Mercedes could get P2 in the constructors, which if you'd have said that at the first few races of the season, you'd say, well, that's frankly impossible. Ferrari look, some would say bulletproof, and Mercedes look not so bulletproof, shall we say. But him putting in those P3s consistently uh, in terms of the season, in terms of the races before, should I say, and the fact that he was robbed as well of his first F1 win, I and many others would argue in the Sakir Grand Prix of 2020, Hamilton's got gazillion and one Grand Prix victories in his time, so to see George Russell break his duck there to get his first ever P1 finish was not only great to see from a perspective of a British fan, but also to see how how much this meant to him, how he was affected by it in a positive way to see that he finally got that P1 in Formula 1 after doing all the hard yards in F2, in, F, in F3 with Williams as well. Working with Mercedes, some saying, well, will his opportunity ever come? Will he get promoted while he's still got his younger years with him? Will he, his career more go down the sort of Nick de Vries or Ocon or Pascal Verlein uh, uh, sort of root or role of being, you know, the nearly man, someone who showed potential but never got his chance, but he got his chance, not only performed very well in the season, but also got the cherry on top there of winning a Grand Prix, beating his teammate in that metric and as well in the Drivers' Championship in what, frankly... I mean, granted, it improved by the end of the season, but it still wasn't a very good car, was it? So that makes, it for me, the, the victory for him even sweeter. And I expect very big things from a man who's done so well in a car that's been so low on performance and, at times, inconsistent in terms of what it can deliver when it comes to races. So that's my spiel. That's what I'm throwing down in front of all of you and saying, please, back me. So finally, what what... what... What do we say? I'm sticking by my Kevin Magnussen feel-good moment of the year. If if it hadn't have happened, um, I think I'd be backing you all the way, Tom. But I know Russell cried, but so did Kevin Magnussen. Yeah, so but Kevin Magnussen... Can I just sort of speak for any sane Formula One viewer and fan? We'll just discount that Alonso one of me, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> fine, fine. And I'm sticking impassionately by my choice. So, Do I get the it sounds like Angus has got the deciding vote here. I would say that for me, fe- defining feel good is something which I think part of it has to be something which is not out of the ordinary but unexpected and makes you, makes you, what's the phrase, makes your cockles warm up inside. <laughs> um, How are you so, 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 based on that. Did did George Russell's win warm up my cockles? Was, oh no, take that bit out. Take that out. <laughs> so Staying in. Don't keep. Don't keep that in. Um, the bit that was probably the better feel-good moment, I think, was the Magnuson poll. I've got to be honest, because that was just George Russell's win. Stay with me. George Russell's win was unbelievable and was like a, another fantastic moment for British motorsport and Britain Britons in Formula One. But I think Kevin Magnussen getting pole. If you told me at the start of the year, if you told me on February the 20th when Magnussen didn't even have a drive and Nikita Mazepin was still in that seat, if you told me that Kevin Magnussen would t- take pole in a wet qualifying session in Sao Paulo nine months from then, I'd have thought you were absolutely insane. And yet that's what happened. And I think the fact that it the stars aligned and also Hass's reaction, they're all so buzzed. And as well because... For them, that's like genuinely, that could be once every five or five years moment, or five or ten years moment for them. So it was so, it was just so, it's so incredible. 
for me, and that's why I would <laughs> vote for Kevin Magnuson's poll, the Viking performance that he showed. <laughs> so there we go. The the feel good moment of the year is the Hass pole position, followed closely, so ever so closely, by George Russell taking his first win, and then a distant twelfth point sixth place. Um, <laughs> Alonso. And so ends episode 42 of F1 in Review, and by extension, so ends another season of F1 in Review. Thank you very much, dear listener, for dedicating all your time, be it an hour, half an hour, many, many hours, to listen to us ramble on about the sport we love, be that on your preferred podcast provider of choice, your Podfollows, your Spotify, your Apple Podcasts, for example, also via River Radio, be that live via the Listen Back feature. For one last time, I'd like to remind you, you can follow myself Tristan and the F1 in Review account on Twitter and while Formula 1 has gone into its hibernation we are now going into our own winter Christmas hibernation we will be returning on the 22nd of February all being well to discuss all the off-season news things we've missed and things to come for the season of 2023 of F1 so until next time thank you very much for listening have a very nice Christmas holidays and everything else and we'll catch you in the new year take care and see you later <laughs>